Thanks for listening to this message brought to you by Cornerstone Christian Church. For these and other great resources, please visit us at sparkswillfly.cc. Amen. Let's go to John chapter 4. I want to share something with you. I probably won't preach long. I just... um, I always hope not to preach long. I just I just tend up to be sometimes long-winded, amen. But uh man, the Lord just moving in this place this morning. <clears throat> How many feel better? Ten people, anyhow. My God, we have four to start with. We got ten now. <laughs> All right, let's go to John chapter four. You there? All right, I want to, I felt like uh, this morning, I've I've prayed a lot this week and um, been with the Lord and I've, uh, I've probably been more broken this week than I have in a long time and uh, just over just some different things. If you were here on Wednesday night, I, I preached very passionately uh, about something that's very dear to my heart and uh, and and I just want to see, I want to see the greatest revival that America's ever seen. And I want to see it in my lifetime. Uh, well, about four people. Come on now. <clears throat> so I, I always tell you this, if you'll help me, I'll preach quick. But if you don't help me, I'm going to preach even long because that means i got to labor the point. But I, I, I want to see, I want to see some things that we have been believing and contending for. And like a lot of people, there's people in this room that's been in it longer than I have, but I have been radically pursuing Jesus for 20 years. And, um, and so I just felt like as praying this week, and there's just really, if you have not heard it, I, I challenge you to listen to it. And I've listened really to just uh, one song. And Stanton and those that know me know, know when I get a song, I will listen to it a hundred thousand times. That's just how I do it. I just listen. I, I, it don't matter if he's, I just stay on that one song, just that one song. And so it's Eddie James's new album, and uh, it's uh, and then so and I was playing it, and Grant got in the truck. He said, "Daddy," he said, "We heard them sing this for the first time, and they sung it at one race, which was held at Stone Mountain." And he said they were reading the lyrics off of their phone because they, they had just written the song. And it's all about just being one. It's all about the division that we see going on in our country. Whether whatever side you're on, there's great division in the country. And we know that that is not a tactic of heaven, but that is a tactic of the enemy. Because a house divided cannot stand. Come on now. And what we must, what we must do is we must not allow that spirit of the world to enter inside the church and divide us inside the church. I, I, come on now. I mean, hello. And so there's power in unity. We don't have to ask God to anoint us. We don't have to ask God to help us. Psalms 133 says how blessed it and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. There God will command the blessing. How many is looking for a commanded blessing? The commanded, the commanded blessing is found in unity. And so if you have been watching the news, and I have, you, you've seen what I haven't seen in my lifetime. Some are happy, some are going crazy. And so 
with that, one of the things that are saying is, is our story needs to be heard. Let me tell you something. There's power in your story. We, the greatest evangelists that ever hit the earth are the ones that had a story, and you got a story to tell. Come on now. We all have a story to tell of God's redemptive power in our lives. Now, what I want to say is just some of the issues that I see facing, and I really want to go back this morning and look into my own story. If you were here on Wednesday night, I preached very passionately on the issue of abortion. And I believe to this morning that I believe that I will see that Roe versus Wade overturned in my lifetime. I passionately pray to see that happen. Now, I'm not going back into that, but if you want the CD, and I challenge everyone in this room and those that are watching on the internet, I challenge you to go read The Dream King by Will Ford and Matt Lockett. Now, that's enough uh, for that, but I do believe that book is very valuable. I believe their story. I don't believe it is no coincidence them knowing one another since two, around 2005 or six, somewhere around in that era that God waited 10 years to uh, 10 to, to 12 years to release their story. He released their story when the greatest divide was happening in our country. But what the news will not show you, what the media refuses to report, is the 20 plus thousand that gathered on Stone Mountain and said, God have mercy on our nation. Come on somebody. That two, two guys, Will Ford and Matt Lockett, Matt Lockett, Will Ford being the son of former slaves, and Matt Lockett being the son of former slaves owner, set on Stone Mountain. Come on, somebody. Where the KKK was formed. Come on, somebody. And said, would you please forgive me? And he looked at him and said, would you forgive me? That is the only way we will heal this divide is that the church and America get a baptism of the love of Jesus Christ. Salvation is not color. It is colorblind. Hello. And if you see color, I have to question how much of God do you have in your life? Now, I've got to get off this, but I'm telling you, I'm inflamed with it. And it's not just the white church. It's in the African-American church. It's in every part of society. Now. Now, so... So I got to go back and I shared this. I grew up in South Georgia. Just like every young country boy, I loved to hunt and fish. I grew up in a backslidden home. My father did my father was an alcoholic. He he did not attend church. My mother was I would say uh God bless her, she's probably watching whatever, but she was backslidden at the time. Let's call it like it is. I love you, mom. <laughs> She's not backslid today, and that's what counts, amen. So, but my mother sang Southern Gospel every morning. She had a karaoke machine in her bedroom, and she would sing about the cross and Southern Gospel every morning. That's how we woke up in our house. So the word was being brought in our home that way. And so I was I, I didn't I didn't have God on my radar. Nowhere through school, if you was to pull my my yearbook, 
There's things in there that you would not like to see, I guarantee you, including me. I just didn't have God on my radar. And so I graduated in 1997, and it was around, I remember the day, it was on Dr. Martin Luther King weekend because I was off of work on that Monday. And I remember, just sad to say it, but I was pretty hammered on Sunday. And I remember going home around 7 to 7.30 in the afternoon, and I remember stumbling in the foyer in my house, and my mom was real upset. I'm just telling you where I come from, okay? And so my mom woke up, and she began to, when I got up the next morning, my mom began to tell me that, you know, look at, look at the trouble we've had with alcohol in our family. And she said, I'm afraid that you are headed on a fast track down the same path. You, you, you're with me. You stay with me here. I got to show where I'm trying to go, okay? I'm just trying to tell you this. And I shared on Wednesday night as it comes, my senior, when you're a senior in high school, you get a class ring. On my class ring was fishing, was a bass and a deer on one side and the rebel flag on the other side. Why? Because I was a white southern country boy. Stay with me. I go into this weekend of Martin Luther King, and I tell my mom on the Monday morning of Dr. Martin Luther King Day, I said, this is the last time that alcohol will ever be an issue in my life. I didn't know, but I was prophesying out of myself. I was prophesying my own deliverance. Come on now. Jesus is not on the radar. I'm not thinking about church or nothing. From Dr. King's birthday to February the 2nd, on February the 2nd of 1998, I'm, I'm, I'm working and in the middle of a road, I have this presence that comes on my life. I felt deeply convicted about my life. And I have, I, 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 I have this thought that if I don't get right with God, I'm going to die and go to hell. That's what it came on me that day. So I couldn't shake it. And I heard a voice call me by my name. Some said, well, was it the audible voice of God? I don't know if it was. The, I heard it, and I turned around to see who was there, and no one was standing there. And so I get off of work, and I go home, and, I'm, and, and I can't shake it. My mind is on God. I, I mean, I don't understand what's going on. I hadn't thought about God. I hadn't thought about church. And, and now I can't think nothing but about God. Are you with me now? One of the problems we've had is we try to tur- we try to we try to introduce church to people instead of God. There's not a promise in the Bible that if you are in church that your life will be transformed. It's easy to do church life. We just come on Sunday morning. That's what we do. But it doesn't necessarily mean that your life is going to be impacted and that your life is going to be changed. But when you meet Christ Jesus, come on now, your life will definitely change. So in this, I have a little Bible and I'm trying to find God in the Bible. I'm trying to find God. I'm trying to figure out, you know, what is this that's going on in my life? And so I remember that I couldn't understand. I couldn't, I couldn't find nothing in the scripture. And so I remember looking up and I just simply said this prayer. I said, God, if you will, if you will forgive me, I will serve you all the days of my life. I didn't tell God I would be a preacher. I didn't say nothing. I said, God, I will serve you all the days of my life. Boom, heaven came in the room. I wept for three hours, had this radical encounter with God, and this set me on a journey. 
How many knows that God sets you on a journey? <laughs> I heard one man say this. Find the dream that God has for your life and seek your whole life into it. Find the dream that God has for your life and you pour your whole life into it. Now, so here's the deal. Stanton and I have this conversation. How are we going to get teenagers to wake up, quit running buck wild, constrain their life and live for something bigger than they are? Well, we've tried it by preaching against the sin that they do. Don't drink. Don't have sex. Don't smoke. Don't chew. All these kind of things. And we can't keep them from doing it. Hello? The other thing we do is we try to scare them in the kingdom. I remember in high school, the only time I did think about God, I went to a heaven's gates, hell's flame deal and saw the devil come out and snatch people out of the congregation and throw them into hell. And I was like, oh my God, I don't want that to happen. We all gave the altar call that night. But here's the thing, the kingdom of God don't operate off of fear. It operates off of love. And if you make a decision because I scared you down here this morning, it's more than likely you're not going to stay with him. Come on, somebody. But if you... But if you make a decision based on love that you realize that Christ came and he died a gruesome death on a cross just for you, that love will keep you all the days of your life. So I go back to what happened in 1998. This is when I get saved. Well, first of all, there was a crucial book that was pressing its way to the top in the church in 1998. There was a lot of stagnance, and I do believe we are at another crucible, uh, crucible since 19... We're at a crossroads in the church like we were in the 90s right now. Which way are we going to go throughout the destiny of the rest of this thing? Hello. Many leaders that are on the forefront are, are talking about this now. All right. You okay? I'm preaching something good in a minute. Just tell your neighbor, say, hold on, he'll get anointed directly. We're praying for him right now. <clears throat> so I, I start attending church because that's what saved folk do. I start attending church. And in our church, I was in a denominational church. I, I, I preach in all denominations, uh, and I, I'm not against denominations, okay? So let's, let's just say that. All right. But in our church, we had a limited view of what we taught. I didn't know nothing about the Holy Spirit. I knew a lot about Jesus, but I didn't know much about the Holy Spirit. I didn't know that you could have a living relationship with the presence of God. Y'all with me in this room? So in other words, God was to me in theory and in the Bible. He was not really personal, although I had a personal encounter on February 2nd of 1998. Now, how many knows that God leads and directs us according to the paths in which we're going to take? You believe this? So, I three months after the salvation experience, I have a red pocket New Testament. And I'm burning the pages of this red pocket New Testament. I'm burning up the pages of the Bible. When I get off of work, I sink myself into the Word of God for hours upon hours every day. And so I'm reading because when I first started out, I didn't understand why Mark said Jesus died when Matthew said that he died in the 27th chapter. So I'm trying to figure out how many Jesus died. I didn't know there was four accounts of the crucifixion. Come on. 
There's a lot of people that ain't never heard about Jesus. So I'm burning the pages up, so I'm on my job. Here's the second supernatural encounter that happens to me. There's three, there's three men besides me in this Ford Dooley. Those three men disappear out of the truck. And it's like, I'm not telling you there was a bright light. I'm just telling you they disappeared. And I heard a voice again speak to me again because I was reading the story of Matthew 25, the story of the ten virgins. And I I heard the voice speak to me again three months after salvation and said, go tell the church to get on fire. Now, me as a minister, been in it for 20 years now, senior pastor for 11 years, who in the world would let some three-month-old guy go out and start preaching? Jesus. Jesus took the most lunatic man in the Bible, the man at Gadara, cast out devils out of him, legions of demons out of him and said I tell you what I want to hire you right now go back and evangelize this city and tell your story how you overcame this is the power we got to get the church to tell your story alright so they, they disappear so listen to this I, I stand up and I preach a message. <laughs> the guy that's pastoring our church actually lets me preach on a Wednesday night. Donna knows the gentleman that let me, let me do it. So I get up, I preach, stumble through some stuff, sit me down, told my mom, I said, I'm not preaching anymore. Well, I had an aunt that knew more. She was in a church that, was, that preached a little more than what our church did. Come on now. She knew about the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. If you're charismatic, you call him the Holy Spirit. If you're Pentecostal, you call him the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost and fire. It's Pentecost. You do know the difference. Charismatic, Holy Spirit. Pentecost, Holy Ghost! We shout like that. You with me? Pacemakers just went off in the room. Three people woke up. God's doing miracles every Sunday, folks. We see him raise the dead all the time. All right, listen. So here's the deal. So I go to this church. I, I, get, I have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. I get this book by Tommy Tenney, The God Chasers. When I start reading The God Chasers, I'm like, oh my God, this is not church. This is a passionate pursuit of a man's life that he can pursue the God of heaven. Paul said it like this. I want to apprehend that which is apprehend me. Now I started saying, oh my God, the believer can actually enter in this chase and this pursuit of a God. And not only that, the father then turns around and pursues the one that's chasing him. This starts getting into my spirit. And I'm thinking, oh my God, there's a whole other level above church life. What, what I've known is church life. There's something called kingdom life and this happens 24-7, 365. Come on now. We're never going to see America change until the church realize it's not an institution that they go to on Sunday and Wednesday. It's a lifestyle that is to be lived 365, 24-7. Hello. That God is just alive on Monday morning in Walmart as he is in this place on Sunday. Hello. He's just alive on, th- on Friday night ball games as he is on Sunday morning. 
and that every day is an opportunity to bring the kingdom of God and the re-representation of Jesus Christ to the earth. So I devour this book. I read the book. I don't know. I've read it probably at least 40 times. It is one of the books that I read every year. And so this book was on the forefront to guide the church and to turn the church away from stagnant religion into a personal pursuit of God. At the end of the 90s, I mean, we were rocking with porn of grace. Come on now. How many been in church for a while? We had porn of grace. I mean, that was the highlight because all we had most of was southern gospel. And most 18, 19-year-old kids don't ride around listening to the Gaithers. Come on, y'all want to help me out here. Huh? But what happened is, it, but by the end of the 90s into the 2000s, the worship began to transfer in the church and begin to change. We started singing, we, start, we quit singing about God, then we started singing to God. Come on, the cross is vertical and it is horizontal. We must sing about God because it reminds us of the testimonies. But worship does not begin to be worship until you take the people out of the equation and you start singing to him vertical. And we had Darlene check to release the shout to the Lord. Come on, somebody. And the worship began to, begin to change. And so here's the second thing. So the first thing what happens is I find the Holy Spirit. I find the book by Tommy Tini called The God Chasers that realizes I can have a personal relationship with God. Here's the second thing. And this second thing changed my life and put me on the pursuit that I'm still on today. Help me, Holy Ghost. Let's try April 20th. Maybe I think that's right. April the 20th, 1999, a tragedy hit America. And it was the first mass school shooting that had happened that was, that, that was televised in, all, in our nation. And it happened in a little suburb off of Denver, Colorado called Columbine. How many remembers that? I was fresh out of high school, graduated in 97, and then in 1999, two young men walked in this school and began to blow this school apart. Their whole intentions is if you watch and you read everything that happened from that, they had bombs set out through that school. They wanted massive, massive slaughter of that school. They planned to disintegrate that whole school. By the time, I think of 40 minutes, by the time it was over, 12 students, including the two shooters, which was a total of 15, and one teacher had lost their life. There was two... <coughs> There was two really girls that was highlighted in that, in, the, in that shooting. One was Cassie Bernard and the other one was Rachel Scott. Though a lot of the stories now have been really tried to be debunked or s- said that they were not, but there was a big shift that happened in 1999. And it was said of, of Cassie Bernard and Rachel Scott, which there was another girl in there, by the name of Val that was never really brought into the, to the mainstream media of the Christian world, but she also said this. And this is what was said. Two shooters are in a cafeteria. They're mocking those students. you got to understand, this is 17-year-old, this is high school-age kids. This is Jonathan Seiler, Trenton, Carson, this is right here, right here. 
two shooters that is on tabletops in a cafeteria mocking these students, shooting rounds into the air, shot like 180-something rounds in this school, and they stick a barrel of a shotgun down in the face of a 17-year-old girl and said, do you believe in God? And she doesn't deny her faith. Now this was a question when I was 19 years old. What makes a girl look down the barrel of a shotgun at 17 years old and does not deny her faith in the living God? First of all, let me tell you what it's not. It's not a Bible story that she had. It wasn't a church experience that she had. It wasn't a good youth group that she had. It was she had a living encounter with the living Christ that changed her life. I feel the Holy Ghost in this room. So why, as a leader, when I go to God, why, why do I not see the church in passion, in love? Because we have not had encounters. We've had theory. Theory will never change your life. Listen to me. John 5, 39, For you search the Scriptures in them, you think you have life, but you wouldn't come to me that you might have life. The Bible is to lead you into an encounter with the living Christ. If the Bible that you read and the biblical knowledge you know, that you have, if it doesn't lead you into an encounter, it only makes you more religious. Religion is like getting the flu shot. We give you enough of the flu to keep you from getting the flu. Religion gives you enough of the kingdom to keep you from ever getting inside the kingdom. My God, that's good preaching. Where God is trying to transfer us is out of this thing called church life into kingdom life. Now, I remember my prayers be like, God, if this young girl, then I must have something that's real. I've got to get, I've got to press in to something that's beyond my church. And I've got to pre, I've got to press into a real encounter with the Lord Jesus. Now let's go back. As I pressed into more of encountering this Christ, I watched a lot of things begin to break off of my life. And like anybody that first starts out, how many knows that we still bring some ghosts of the past along with us? Here's where the grace teachers would stand up and say, that's just because you're ignorant of what God's already done. No, I'm not ignorant of what God's already done. I do understand that Jesus did finish it on the cross. Are you with me? But I do understand this, that the kingdom of God works from the inside out. And sometimes it takes a little bit of growth to happen on the inside and some information to get in. Come on, somebody. Information, form you on the inside. Religion works on the outside in. Religion is like this. For every one that is chopping, for every thousand that is chopping on the leaves, only one chops at the root. The kingdom goes to the root of the issues in our life and religion tries to keep the trees trimmed down. The leaves trimmed on the tree. And so we... Help me right here. All right. So I was thinking about this. Give me some radical encounters with Scripture. Well, first of all, I thought about this. There's no doubt that Saul of Tarsus had a miraculous encounter with God. 
in Acts chapter 9. He was knocked down off his horse, and then he was blind. Let me say this. As long as the church is on the high horse, we will always be blind. My God, that's good right there. Wish somebody got that. As long as we're on the high horse full of pride, we will never be able to see. But if we will ever get on the ground, I believe Ananias, which is his name means the God of mercy, will touch our eyesight and cause scales to fall from our eyes where we begin to see. Now, I want to address this for the remainder of the 15 minutes I have. There is a lady in John chapter 4, a Samaritan woman that meets and has an encounter with Jesus. You okay? You okay with me not opening the Bible and quoting it to you? We're okay with that, right? Some say it's not legal if he don't open the Bible. He told us to turn to John 4. I'm just trying to help us with the time, okay? I didn't eat breakfast or dinner last night, so I'm a little hungry. I'm trying to speed us along. Come on. <laughs> Let me just tell you why I know why we in church life. You can, you, can ta- you can basically go to any conference and you can tell what kind of church they're in by the way they dress. I, 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 I like jeans the whole nine yards and have wore jackets and slacks for the last few weeks. Well, when I went over to preach for Pastor Dale, I wore one of my, one of my suits and I, I leaned over and I told Dale during worship that morning, I said, you still wearing a suit? He looked dead at me and this is what he said. He said, I'm still representing the king, ain't I? So here's the thing. Skinny jeans or suits don't mean a hill of bean in the kingdom. You can be in shorts and flip-flops. Come on, somebody. I just, don't, I just don't suggest you go see a king in shorts and flip-flops. There is etiquette. Come on, you with me? But be free to do whatever. Catherine said, I'm going to wear jeans now. You wear the slice of coat, but I'm wearing jeans. I'm going to jump around. I said, you be who you are. All right, so let's go back with this. So Jesus has already, you remember in Matthew chapter 10. You okay? Look at your neighbor and say, we almost there. All right. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus tells them not to go to any city of Samaria. He forbids them to go to a city, to, to go to the city of Samaria. Now in John 5, on John 4, we find him where he's about to go to Samaria. See, listen to me. God will go where others refuse to. My God, I'm trying to help us here. God will go where others refuse to. All right. Now, he goes, and the scripture says he comes near the place where Jacob's well is, right? And he goes there, being wearied on the journey, he goes and he sets on Jacob's well. Here is a well sitting on top of a well. Come on now. See, because this is where we've been. This is where we're about to shift from, though. Where we have been is most of the church is still drinking from Jacob's well. Jacob's well means strive, trying to obtain, trying to get there. And it represents what has plagued us since humanity. 
We don't believe God will receive us, so we dress up and we wear masquerades and we wear all these costumes in the house of God so that God may accept us. Here's the real truth. God will accept you the way you are. God is not impressed with pedigrees. He accepts us the way we are. And the sin that you worried about separating you from God, He already knows it anyhow. Hello. Hello. He knows the struggle. Come on, somebody. He knows us in our birthday suit in this room. And so he's sitting on this well and what he's doing is is he says, I desire to cap this lifestyle off. I want to be a lid to it. Here is a lady that approaches this. She's approaching approaching the well at a time when women don't even come to get the water. So what does that tell me? That tells me she don't want to be seen. She's beat down in her life. She's ready to give up this. I mean, things don't look good for her. Now she comes to there and Jesus asks her a question. I desire to have a drink of water. This is all God is asking us this morning. I want a relationship with you. It doesn't matter how dirty your water is. Whatever it looks like, I just want to have a relationship with you. Will you give me what you have? See, here's the great exchange. You give him ashes, he gives you beauty. You give him poverty, he gives you wealth. My God, I can't get nobody. You give him brokenness, he gives you wholeness. You give him division, he gives you unity. It's the great exchange. He's asking her, I want a drink. She looks back and says, Lord, which she was not calling him Messiah. It was just like calling him sir. She was like, sir, what does a Jewish man have anything to do with a Samaritan woman? And then he goes on and tells her, how about go get your husband? See, this tells me that God really does want to touch the issues in our life. Can, y'all, y'all all right? Can you stay for eight minutes? Some of you crouching down. You just... You're all right, though. You're just staying with me. See, God really does want to touch the issues in our life. He doesn't want you to tote what has held you back. There's deliverance at the cross, friend. There's freedom in Christ. Can I get some witnesses up in here? There's true freedom in Christ. Whom the Son sets free can really be free indeed. That is a reality. That is not something I read in the Bible. I know that to be absolutely true this morning. And I know it to be a reality. Why? Because it has happened in my life. Now. He says, rightly so. You've had five husbands. I love the response. I perceive that thou art a prophet. And he said the one you're shacked up with is number six and you're not married to him. See, you and I have been married and the church has been married to her five husbands. Your five senses. It's all about me. It's all about me. Number one, oh my, me, my. 
the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I, living by the five senses, which is why we have to prod and poke the church to stand in a place of faith to even believe because this is how much we are bound down by the five senses. If we can't touch it or see it, we don't even believe it's real. And we live bound by the five senses. Joshua told, Joshua was told to put his, his foot on the neck of five kings. If you are ever going to live the life of faith, you will have to put your foot on the neck of these five kings. Though you can't see it, don't mean it ain't real. I ain't never seen a million dollars, but I got faith to believe it exists. Hello. And besides this, if you can't believe it, you're never going to see it. We have got to get out from under being slave to how we feel. It's not about how we feel. It's about what he said. Sister Katie, am I preaching the truth in here? We can't believe for healing unless the worship band's playing. And our, and our hair standing up, and we got the right atmosphere. And all, oh my God! And now we we shandai kanda. See me tie my tie. You tie your bow tie. I'm not speaking in tongues. That's just making it up. Come on, somebody. And we and we got all the Christianese slinging. Then we got faith to see something done. That is not how it works. God's word is true right now, whether I'm in the grocery store or whether I'm in the house of God. Or if I'm standing on the beach, or if I'm in a fishing boat, forever thy word is settled in the heavens. And we operate out of that. You've been married to your five husbands. He said, The sixth one you're living with is not your husband. Six is the number of man. The reason why, listen to me, that we have not furthered along than what we've had is because we've centered everything around a man, and it ain't Jesus. And so now you have these, these, we can't get people to come to church unless their favorite preacher's preaching. Worship leader. We've got to tell who's going to be preaching. What does it matter if I'm preaching or I am preaching? Well, because I am's a woman, the Bible says they're neither Hebrew nor Greek. Jew nor Gentile, male nor female. Educate yourself in your Bible and get out your granny's religion. Hello. Now listen. The one you're living with is not yours. He's not your husband. Six is the number of man. So what Christ is trying to do is bring us into that 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2, I believe it is, where Paul said, I labor to present you as a chaste virgin unto Christ that he could be your true husband. He's trying to marry us. Y'all with me? Am I confusing us in here? I'm talking about a different level right here. Listen to me. <clears throat> People think the rapture is going to happen because, because the world's showing out getting bad. Let me give you a clue right here. The world's going to be the world. The world's going to be the world. And the church needs to be the church. And let me just tell you this. The devil and the world cutting up is actually helping us. How can you say that? Because they are creating the black, the black backdrop 
to reveal the beauty of the church. The city set on a hill. All right. So she she finds the Lord. She gets she she gets a drink. She runs back into the city and says, let me tell you of a man. I just want to tell you one thing. I want to tell you of a man that has told me everything I've ever done. This is the first city transformation from an evangelist recorded in Scripture, and it's a woman. What made her story be so effective? She had the real encounter. She had the real encounter. I want to leave you with this. Catherine and I started this some years ago. Gosh, looking back now, this had to be around 2000, maybe 2004. Catherine and I was serving as youth pastors. God bless the youth pastors. Folk fired up one week, down the next week. Here's the news. It ain't going to change much, okay? But listen. (laughs) Y'all right? So I get this kid. This kid's name was Brian. Brian was really come from a broken home, which is what we're dealing with now in society with a lot of kids. And so Brian got involved in our youth group, but he was always standoffish. He was always a challenger. Then he shifted and going to wear all black clothing and just, just all kind of stuff. But all I did, I would love on him. And I remember this. This is, this is what he did. He called me one night. And he said, I want, he said, I want you to prove tonight in your youth service that God is real. Oh, yeah. What I want to challenge you is you go, you go to your study and, of Scripture and how do you prove to a 15-year-old teenager that God is real? I mean, should I take him to where, I mean, where he called Nicod- where, he, where John 3, where he talks to Nicodemus? What Scripture should I use? I'm, I'm in my early 20s serving as a youth pastor, and I'm challenged by a 15-year-old student freshman student, uh, uh, the challenge is to bring the real proof that he's real. So I pray. I'm thumbing the Bible, I'm, I'm thumbing the Scriptures, and I pray. And in, we on overtime right now. Elders, write it down, I'm preaching overtime. All right, listen. That, so I got to come that night. And I've got, to, I've got to bring the word. It's on a Wednesday night. Adam, Mike, would you help me right here? Would you help me right here? Gavin, maybe come up here too. Help, never mind. You all, I see you. Um, just help me right here. So I go on this Wednesday night, and my task is, now, now, Carson, I've got to prove as this kid's youth pastor that God is real. I've got to bring real substance. You can't come in here with a Bible story. I can't come in here with a track. I've got to bring real substances because he just told me, he said, if you can't prove he's real, I'll be an atheist. I mean, I'm thinking, why don't you go challenge the pastor like that? Why you got to challenge the youth pastor? I mean, I'm just training for this thing. <laughs> go challenge their seminary degrees. So I fasted and prayed. And I said, God, how am I going to prove to a 15-year-old kid that you're real? How am I going to bring it down to the reality 
of who you really are. That night I approached that youth room and we've led worship just like you guys do. And there was a song, you remember the song by Skillet, the youth band or whatever, the angels. I don't know if you ever heard it. I saw angels uh, bow down before the feet of the Lord. We were singing, we were just worshiping the Lord. And so I took the mic that night. And I said, let me tell you something. I'm not going to point just to the scripture and to the Bible to tell you that God is real. This is how I 100% know that he's real. When I was 18 years old, I was about as messed up as you could possibly be. But in five years, the God of heaven has transformed my life into a totally different person. The boy that graduated with the fish and the deer head and the rebel flag on the side of his face, on the side of his class ring, is no longer racist. Well, how do you know that? Because I took two young African American boys to church every Wednesday and every Sunday named Doogie and Spanky. Some years later, Catherine would run into Spanky and he looked at her and he said, Miss Catherine, you don't know who I am, do you? And she said, No, I don't, because he had grown up. And um, he said, I'm Spanky. He said, you tell Pastor John thank you for every time that you guys come and got me. And he lived way deep in the projects. But he said, you tell him this, that I just graduated college. And Doogie is right behind me. And I talked about how I, I didn't go to the Bible. I went to my living encounters that I had with this man called Jesus. And I talked about every encounter I had. And Catherine will remember that night that I went in down into the floor and I wept. And our youth room was concrete. I have a keyword study Bible that I may have gave you. Was it one, the one I gave you got the burnt leather on the front? That happened in that youth church. I laid my Bible down and the lights that we had in the stage actually melted some of the leather on that Bible, that's from there. But I went down in the floor and I wept that night over those teenagers. And Catherine will tell you this, I had to be toted out of my youth room. And when I got off the floor, there was a pool that I was laying in in my own tears. And can I tell you what happened? Brian didn't become no atheist. He became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because I told him my story. Church, that's how powerful your story is. Mine's just one of the literally millions on the face of God's green earth. God's brought us a long ways, brought us a long ways. Now, I preached a hard message in here on Wednesday night. And Thursday, I was crying. I wept all day Thursday. And I remember this. I remember meeting this, this kid right here five years ago. When he really got serious, I almost say it like that. When he really got serious, as I watched Stanton, I wouldn't say that he was dead to the bone serious. He was teetering. Come on, anybody ever teetered in your life? Am I the only one up in here? Has anybody ever struggled? Let me tell you something. I've had some moments in the 20 years of walking with God. I've slipped and fell, had to be drugged back up. But let me tell you something. He's faithful. Though the righteous may fall, they get up again and keep going. The deal is, how have I made it 20 years? One thing, I got back up. I got back up and I looked at the God of mercy. 
But I watched him when he really, really, he really, really, he really, really sold out. And he let it go. And he would come to me. And he would tell me about the dream in his heart of the African-American church and the white church not being separated but running together. And I would listen to him and I was like, yeah, man, that's great. But Thursday, after weeping all day, I said, I want to thank you for carrying the dream in your heart because your dream has become my dream. Let me tell you something. In the days ahead, we're not only going to be white. We're not only going to be black. We're going to be Hispanic. We're going to be Asian and every other thing in this room. This is what I told my mom. May I probably shouldn't release this, but I will. Because I know that God put this in my heart. I called my family and I said this. I said, it is deep in my heart. And I said, I know this. Because, see, I don't believe that the church has a right to stand against abortion when she won't be willing to adopt and open her home. Hello. And I told my parents, I said, let me tell you something. And my family, I said that I believe in the days ahead that Catherine and I are going to adopt a child. And let me tell you something, it's not going to be no white Caucasian. Why? Because that's the beauty of heaven. That's not coming out of something where I can show to get some preaching engagements or nothing. That's coming deep out of my heart, out of this living encounter with God. God. Let me tell you something, friend. If you can't look at the black folk in love and I don't see you, Katie, I don't see you as no colored woman. I see you as a faithful woman in the house of God that has persevered year after year. You challenged me. I can't tell you how much we love you. When you went on that beach trip, my wife come back and said, let me tell you something. There's a wealth in Katie's stadium that we need to hand her the mic and listen to what she's got to say. We love you, Katie. And after seeing what's going on with this nation, I've walked around my place like a shepherd looking to see if the wolf would come in this house to divide us. I can tell you when I feel that divisive spirit, I'll pull the sword of the spirit out and cut its head clean off and say, not my church and not my house. You're not coming in this place, devil. So how are we going to get the teenager? How am I going to get the Carson Smith and the... Carson Merwin and the Trenton. How am I going to get you to sell completely out when you have the living encounter with the man called Christ Jesus? But he's no longer in the Bible and he's no longer in the church, but he's so real that you know that he's right there with you. When you ride down the road by yourself and you can swear he's sitting in the front seat with you talking to you. When I was sitting in line Thursday at the school, praying in tongues, weeping, probably looking like a fool. It doesn't matter to me. Because I'm infatuated with him. 
The prayer room is not a chore for me. Bible reading is not a chore for me. It is a passion birthed out of love for Him. So my challenge and my advice is, you stand in the flame and you bring the flame in that room and you offer the invitation to come outside. Come outside what the world is saying. Let me tell you something there's plenty to give your life for. There is a dream bigger than your dream and it is the dream of heaven that God is out. See, all that we do, church, is we're living His dream out of Matthew 28. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Ain't that right, Mildred? Go into all the world. Miss Mildred, forgive me for just calling you Mildred. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son. Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end. All power is given unto me. We're just simply living his dream. And when I saw his dream as an 18-year-old kid, I knew that his dream was bigger than my dream, and I put my whole life into his dream. And I've watched God change, and I've watched God change and mold the hearts of the young, young ones in this room. Where Grant said, Daddy, I don't want to play baseball. I, I just want to be at the church. But one of the things as a father, I know this. His eyes, is on the, his eyes is on the machine of it, if you will. You with me? His eyes is on the boat. See, you can never get captivated by this. you got to be captivated by Him. Because if this disappears, where is your relationship? You can never get your identity from what you do because what if this is not what you do? So you got to, my God, I feel the Holy Ghost in this room. So you got to learn how to burn personally. Every day. When we move the church from church life into kingdom life, you're going to see the massive, massive, massive awakening hit this land. Because we're going to realize he's not a fairy tale. He's not a Bible figure. He was, he's not a, he was not a historian. He was not a prophet. He really was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He really was the God of heaven who came to set us free. He really was the living whale sitting on top of a whale saying, if you'll drink from me, you'll never thirst again. So the greatest thing I can leave you with this morning is this. Is that you would press into the encounter. Stand up with me right here this morning. Look at me. You say, Pastor, I know for a fact, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt I've never had the encounter you're talking about. I've just never really had a real encounter with God. But I sure want one. If that's you, I wonder if you'd meet me right here this morning. If you want to live an encounter with the living Christ, I, I, hope, I hope that you would come right here. That should be everybody in this church, friend. Everybody in this church should have ran at the altar. Everybody in this church should have came forward. I don't know what else you want then. Give me some lights on this stage right here. I want you to lift your hands. Come on, come on, come on. Come on, come on. 
I, I just, I'm telling you, the urgency of the hour, and we're so lethargic that we can't hardly move out of our seats. Come on, we should run to it. We should run to it. Come on, I'm trying to help us. We should run to engage the Lord. This is not about engaging Pastor John or Cornerstone. This is about engaging Christ. Father, I pray right now, living encounters all over this room. Living encounters all over this room. All over this room. I pray. Let me tell you something. It takes with a made-up mind that you're going to press into it with your whole life. Charles Finney said he prayed for two hours. No change. I prayed four hours. No change. Six hours. No change. On the eighth hour, he felt something shift on his life. And he felt this, this like honey roll over his physical body where he was baptized in the love of God. Never forget the power of your story. Trenton, do you know what your friends need to see? They need to see something solid. Something that lives it. You want to be at the party with the beer in your hand? Let me tell you what you preach to them. Regardless of what, regardless of what anybody believes, what you say to the non-believer is, you're no different than me. But if you can show, I'm not saying that you're perfect, but if you can show that you can stand, you what you do is start paving the way. My God, I want what He wants. I, I, I want what He's got. I want what... You know why the church loves Heidi? Because they want what she's got. It's a laid down life. Father, we love you today, God. We honor you in this house. Father, I release the encounter. I release the encounters in this room. A fresh encounter. A fresh encounter, God, with you, the living Christ, God. We release it in this room, Father. I pray that these teenagers would be just pulled away into the secret place of the Most High God. And, Father, that you would visit them. I pray that we would begin to see the eyes like fire and the hair like wool and the feet like brass. I pray, Father God, for visitations all over this room. Let us see you, Jesus. God, give us the courage to tell our stories, what you have done in our lives. It's powerful, God. It's powerful, Father. People need to know the testimonies that we share in our heart and we have in our heart. Father, I bless them today. I bless them today. I bless them today. I bless this people today. I bless this church today. In Jesus' mighty name. 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 Come on, church. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Hug somebody. Love on them. Thanks for listening to this message. For more exciting content, visit our website at sparkswillfly.cc and connect with us on social media.